0: Hello and welcome to The Boz Podcast. I'm your host, Shabad Singh. Today we'll be talking to Jyoti Kaur about internet civil liberties in India, as well as the ever evolving story of Pegasus, a spyware that is implanted on thousands and thousands of phone numbers around the world, including 40 phone numbers of Indian journalists, particularly with dissenting opinions to the Indian state. But before that, I want to remind you that we are here every other Tuesday, interviewing reporters and contributors to Boz. And we hope that you can subscribe and listen in every other Tuesday and let us know what you think. When you subscribe and leave a review on the podcast, it helps other people find us. So please do do that if you like what you hear. Also, please subscribe to BAZ itself and consider supporting us financially. BAZ runs on your generosity and we appreciate every bit so that we can continue doing this quality work representing a unique lens of Sikh and Punjabi diaspora as well as important information and reporting on issues in India itself. Without further ado, let's go to our interview with Jyoti Koreki and learn more about this ongoing issue. Jyoti Koreki, welcome to the Boz podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Uh, so we have some important topics to discuss today uh, from some of your recent uh, reporting on, uh, on internet uh, freedoms uh, and state surveillance, but Before we get into that, I wonder if you could just tell us a bit about yourself and what brings you to writing for Boz and covering these stories.
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, I worked in the mainstream media as a news reporter um, on TV for about five years here in the U.S., and um, I've always been interested in the bigger picture. I've always wanted to work internationally, and so... I ended up going back to school um, in London and I got my master's in international public policy. And then I was planning on doing some traveling before my graduation. My parents were going to come to England and I was planning to go to India and Pakistan. But then, of course, COVID happened. So uh, instead, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, minor inconvenience. So um, and then I ended up actually having COVID, not knowing that I had it and just taking a really, really long time to recover from it. So. During that time, the farmers' protests began. Right. And so yeah. I'm looking all these things up, you know, just trying to understand what's going on. And I come across um, some work done by Boz. And I, I would watch like things on YouTube with my dad daily, and he would kind of explain them to me a little bit more in detail and from his perspective, which was really, really amazing because um, my master's, my dissertation actually had to do with 1984, the Sikh genocide and social movements. I drew some parallels to the civil rights movement. So during this time, um the killing of George Floyd occurred too. Mm. So we were able to have these conversations about these two movements in real time. Right. And it was like I was living my master's dissertation. Yeah, incredible. Um, and so I I didn't understand something or I was just trying to learn a little bit more about something me and my dad had watched um, going on in India. And then I came across Boz and I was like, huh, this might be something that I would be interested in. Mm. So then it just went from there.
0: I uh maybe you can tell us a little bit about the things that you've covered and and um yeah, how is how has this experience been and uh, I'm sure it's been a, a learning experience uh for you along the way.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, like I said, I worked in the mainstream, but I worked um, in various markets in New York and in North Carolina. And in doing that, like I definitely covered social movements. um, I've covered various forms of legislation and important meetings, but I haven't gotten the opportunity to work on such an international level. So I grew up speaking Punjabi. I read it not that fast but I never had the opportunity to kind of wrap myself around what was going on in India and understand it in a substantial way. Mm. So there's definitely been the learning curve. I mean, one of the most recent interviews I did, um, it was in complete Punjabi and my Punjabi is it's decent, but it's, it's definitely challenging when, um, you don't speak that language every single day. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, language skills uh learning about the world and informing all of us uh, in the process we love to yeah. see it we love to hear it and we're grateful um mm-hmm. we're grateful for you joining us and for for covering this work um so last uh last week on the i believe it was the 16th you had a an article published um on that was broadly about internet uh Civil liberties mm-hmm. in India, um, and the crackdown by the state on, uh, I guess, what we could call dissident voices uh, mm-hmm. in in the media, and that's both um, in in India uh, with a, with a site called Six Seasit that is a Pantik uh, news source, but also um, diaspora. Uh, uh, Sick accounts were targeted and uh, shut down on social media, such as the National Sick Youth Foundation and um, a historic uh, 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 Instagram called Ramblings of a Sick.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so, wh- what did you what did you learn in this in the process of investigating this? And, and maybe what can you tell us uh, further about this story?
1: Yeah, so this is all part of the new IT rules in India which they were introduced back in February. And um, social media companies such as Facebook and Twitter were being given um, three months to start implementing them. Um, These uh, went into force, I think, in May. Hmm. So there wasn't a lot of reporting about this when it um, originally was presented. And the Indian government says that they've been working on it since way back in 2018. Hmm. So I spoke with um, an organization called the Internet Freedom Foundation, who says that they participated in like the public process for this in looking over what these new IT rules would be. They provided provided feedback hmm. and um, they said that, that that feedback wasn't listened to. And in fact, these rules were um, sort of expanded even more to then include certain regulations on streaming services like Netflix or Hulu. Mm. And so these rules, they require Twitter and Facebook, WhatsApp to monitor what's being posted online Mm. and to take down content or restrict content that the government or that a court rules is um, either controversial is, not true, or is in violation of Indian law?
0: I see so were any of these accounts shown? Is there any kind of process that the state uh, shares about how these decisions are made, or as far as we know these are or or do we do we have any knowledge about how those decisions are made
1: yeah, so these Accounts, These users of these social media platforms, they're supposed to be given notice as part Mm. of the IT rules. Um, The rules created the role of a grievance officer. And so that grievance officer is supposed to provide um, a mechanism for um, these users to go back and forth with them and understanding these complaints and trying to resolve them. Mm. But as you'll see in my article, for those who have read it, a lot of these accounts, a lot of these users, they didn't receive any sort of notice. They were told in the case of, I believe, Ramblings of a Sick, um, or it might be the National Sick Youth Federation. Yeah, it's National Sick Youth Federation. Their friends were scrolling through, trying to scroll through their timeline in, on Twitter in India, and they got the notice that the account was restricted and that they couldn't view tweets from, uh, that account.
0: Right. So they didn't even know once they were restricted, they didn't even realize it. it was people in India telling, mm-hmm. sending screenshots, letting them know. Okay. Yeah. So, cl- so clearly these, these processes are not being followed. And ha- have you seen anything about, uh, any kind of recourse or ability for, um, these accounts to, uh, uh complain or, um, you know, kind of arbitrate, uh, being reinstated in those countries? No. Nothing.
1: I haven't. No, not at this point.
0: So, uh, um, it's perhaps, I mean, uh, last week or on our last episode, we spoke about, um, the banning of Jazzy B's social media accounts. Mm -hmm. Um, and you touch on that in, in this, in that article as well. Um, and the, the thread, the through line that seems to be connected among these accounts is that they are uh, critical of the Indian state uh, to varying degrees. Uh, whether it's it's uh, Jazzy B talking about uh, the genocide of '84 or supporting the farmers' protests or ramblings of a sick posting things about uh, Indira Gandhi and uh, her sick bodyguard. Mm-hmm. Um, do do we is there a, do we see a a targeting of of six in particular here, or uh, or is there a broader kind of targeting of these uh, uh, of social media accounts?
1: So I would say that the users of the social media platforms that have been restricted, they some felt as though there is a theme, mm. um, because under Indian law, if something is seen to I don't know hinder sovereignty or mm. be a risk to national security, then that content could be deemed to be in violation of these rules. So, you know, for posting something about Indira Gandhi or Sikh bodyguard, that could be questionable. So Mm -hmm. I I took your question, I took it to the um, Internet Freedom Foundation, because I was seeing a theme, some in the Sikh community were seeing a theme, so I wanted to ask the experts who they monitor the internet, like this is their job, this is what the organization was set up to do. And yeah, so, can you, can
0: you tell us a little bit about the Internet Freedom Foundation uh, quickly, and uh, before you go into that?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, they're based in India. It's a nonprofit organization, and they monitor like violations. They're interested in protecting the freedom of speech on the internet. Um, they mm. provide legal assistance to, um, for instance, media outlets or certain individuals who feel as though um, they have been, I don't know, violated, or they mm. have been. I don't know how to put this in the cor- <laughs> the correct terminology but they 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 provide legal assistance to um you know media platforms that um feel as though their rights were infringed upon.
0: And and so they and and we would say that their approach is ecumenical in terms of they are they are supporting anybody who is being who's encountering uh a, a potential restriction of speech.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And so and what was their what were their thoughts about your question of whether Sikhs were being targeted in particular?
1: So they definitely believe that the Sikh community is being targeted, but what they said is because they're the face, they have become the face of the farmers' protest. Mm. And of course, the farmers protest the the um, new laws, that is a huge part of the Modi regime's undertaking. The new so laws if, that
0: the, the farmers are protesting against.
1: That they're pro- exactly right. So if Sikhs have become the face of that agitation, then of course they're going to be targeted. Mm.
0: And this reminds me, um, uh, we don't need to go far, too far off uh, on a tangent, but but um, historically uh, the the visibility of six has um, put it in the line of sight of the Indian state in the past. And I'm thinking of the 1980s and uh, the kind of, how the, the sick, the, the militant, sick social movements that were cropping up around similar issues, um, that, that the farmers protests are, are around, uh, in the eighties allowed them to be, uh, as far as the history that I've read, allowed them to be targeted, uh, and kind of scapegoated, um, by, by the state media. Are you, do you see any kind of parallels there, uh, uh to, to what's going on now?
1: I think that's why people are very nervous. I think that's why people are raising the alarm about this because we don't want to see, or they don't want to see history repeating itself. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, to go back to what the internet freedom foundation um, said to me when I brought this question to them is of course they felt like the Sikh community is being targeted, but they think that it's more so anyone who is critical of the government that's going to face this sort of behavior. So whether it's um, those speaking out against, you know, for speaking for environmental justice or Mm -hmm. speaking out for, you know, anything, any group that's going to get together and do these mass demonstrations, speak out against the government, they're going to face this sort of behavior.
0: So I imagine, um, and I don't, I wonder if the, um, can you remind me the name of the, uh, the, the, um director of that organization who you interviewed recently.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, Apar Gupta.
0: So Apar Gupta is, um, we're, did, did, did um, I don't know if they, they shared this information, but I imagine that you must have uh, religious minorities, ethnic minority groups, anybody who's sort of dissident in terms of their, uh, or critical in terms of their rhetoric um, as, as it relates to the Indian state. Uh, are being targeted. It's not just Sikhs, it's anybody who's speaking up.
1: Right. yep. Hmm. Um,
0: and so now this this uh, maybe sets the table a bit for us uh, for the recent uncovering of uh, of a spyware called Pegasus. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the Pegasus story uh, as as far as we've seen?
1: So it's definitely still an evolving story, but the brief synopsis about Pegasus is that there was a data leak that showed that more than 50,000 phone numbers um, were showed to be of interest by government clients of the NSO group, which is based in Israel, and they sell the surveillance software that's called Pegasus. Of those 50,000 phone numbers that were uh, leaked, Forty journalists appear on that list.
0: Mm, forty and and
1: Indian journalists. Indian
0: journalists specifically,
1: specifically, yeah. And the number could be higher. Like I said, this story is it's evolving. This is still kind of new,
0: right? So it, th- those numbers could rise, but for now, we know that there's about forty Indian journalists that were on there.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: what what um, what does what this spyware do?
1: So if your phone becomes infected with this spyware, you would not even know it. And Mm. it can switch your phone camera on. It could switch your microphone on. It could start recording without you knowing it. It can go into your cell phone and look at your messages. It can get any information that's on your phone is basically available. Your GPS data.
0: Your call logs, yeah,
1: your call logs, yeah, details of your text messages, pictures, GPS location, yeah, everything.
0: Now, do we know? So, can you describe like what the data leak was? Like, how, how, who, whose data was this? And, um, and do we know why these numbers are being surveilled and by who?
1: so uh, forbidden stories and amnesty international i guess came together to work on this and they amnesty international originally had access to to this list and then they decided to work together with i want to say more than 15 media organizations around the world m- more than 80 journalists to um reveal the details of this mm-hmm. in what's called the pegasus project and they worked on this for several 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 months and so what they found is it's chilling
0: right right it's massive i mean it's and 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 do so what has the indian states uh have there has there been any response uh or or questioning of them as if they've been involved uh in this
1: yeah, so that's where the concern is. Well, a lot of the concern is in India. Um I don't have the exact words um but the IT minister has said that the attempts of the Pegasus project is an attempt to malign democracy in India. And you know, I'm not quoting word for word, but the gist of his message was that um just because of a phone has been shown to have this software on their phone on, on it doesn't necessarily mean that that phone was being spied on.
0: Interesting.
1: So people are very frustrated with that response.
0: <laughs> Understandably. <laughs> yeah. And, and and so do and then is there there's a question, as far as I understand, about whether or not India ever contracted with NSO to use Pegasus.
1: Right. Yeah, we and, haven't. And seen we don't that know the answer record. to that either. No,
0: but it's as far as what I've read is that it has neither been confirmed nor denied by the state.
1: Exactly.
0: Okay, right. all right. So well, that's well, the,
1: that's the big frustration: is we're not getting a yes, and we're not getting a no.
0: Well, I, I think that uh, we can leave that to our listeners to infer uh, what they will. Um, but that that uh, so this is alarming. This is concerning. If it wasn't the state, which we, I think we might assume based on the, re- the the reporting that you've already done and that we've discussed here, might have an interest in surveilling uh, journalists, especially those who may have any kind of uh, dissident uh, ideas that they're sharing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, if it isn't the state, it, are there ideas of who it could be and why they might be surveilling say Indian journalists
1: well that's a huge matter of concern because mm. if it 's not India who's spying on its citizens, its residents, then is it a neighboring country
0: <laughs> right right and how the social media um, now backing up a little bit, I, I just want to <laughs> kind of uh, try to try to zoom out and talk about um Some of the like interests that uh, might be related to this uh, media crackdown by the Indian state. Now, we don't know if Pegasus was deployed by the state, um, but we have seen that India is willing to restrict speech when it's inconvenient uh, for for them. Mm -hmm. Um, How how did social media companies respond to these demands by the state?
1: The Demands, um, of, as far of, as the IT rules,
0: yeah, these I the IT rules and, and imposing them upon them,
1: right? So, initially, um, Twitter had gone back and forth for quite a while, even during the farmers' protests. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was content that was deemed, um, in violation of the rules that the government wanted to be taken down, and there was some back and forth for quite a while in the beginning, yeah, and um, even still, there have been some pretty uh descriptive statements <laughs> released on, on Twitter wow. uh, that, that don't exactly paint Twitter in, in a positive light um, and statements, of course, made by the Indian government. So, I
0: see. I see. So they're still in conflict. But do, do have other um, platforms uh, uh, raised similar concerns?
1: Yeah. WhatsApp actually sued the Indian government because of uh, part of the IT rules – Call for the first originator of the message um, to be revealed.
0: Ah, I so see.
1: Let's say that this message is—I um, don't know—I guess expletive, or is—is—is not—is deemed to be questionable by the Indian government. Yeah. Then, or if it's something that will hinder security um, in India then WhatsApp has an obligation to share where that message originally came from.
0: Hmm. Well, that's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> so goodbye, uh, protecting your sources if you're a journalist who uses WhatsApp.
1: Yep. I, I know it's it's tough because all these new apps are coming out, then there's Signal and it's you have like six different applications to have <laughs> conversations.
0: Yeah, right. In order to... Uh, have some semblance of security
1: mm-hmm.
0: so um i guess what i what i what I wanted to zoom out and kind of think about was um, you know why why is this being done like why why are um like what is the state protecting itself from and um why is it so afraid of democratic you know free speech in in the country, um, like occurring at all, or even outside of the country? Do you have any sense of that?
1: Well, the feeling among journalists that I've spoken to is that they feel as though their freedom of speech is being stifled and if they're outspoken and critical about the government the government doesn't like that this is a very sensitive government yeah um they you know like any government they want to be seen in a positive way but this government will crack down on you if if they aren't happy with what you're saying or if they believe that what you're saying is not factual or they will try to from what i've heard um get your sources and try to find out, you know, who is giving you this information.
0: Ostensibly to use in some kind of a security uh, context to, to intercept those people or to stop them. Yeah. So did you, do we, do we see uh, in the community, like, are you hearing or, or, or seeing that this has, picked up considerably since the farmers' protests?
1: Well, the IT rules, um, they went into effect in May. So even though they were introduced in February, I see. Uh, they, yeah, they just recently became effective in May. And I think a lot more people are online right. due to COVID and due to the demonstrations that we've been seeing, You know, not only in India, but across the world.
0: Well, I guess it's telling that well, I get, okay, so we understand that since 2018, these these rules have been been uh, developed, but it was only in February that they were actually launched. And then, in, or rather, uh, in,
1: uh, in May, they went into force.
0: In May, they went into force, but in February, they were introduced. Mm-hmm. I see. And that is really right as the farmers' protest is kicking off and in full gear. Mm hmm. Now, I guess we can't know what the thinking behind the state uh, is, but that is a a convenient, if you're having a massively, uh, a a massive democratic grassroots movement that's being orchestrated through social media in large part, um, I suppose it would be advantageous to a state uh, to introduce said laws uh, at that time to impinge the ability for these groups to organize, uh, theoretically. Well,
1: well, the Indian government says that they have been working on these rules since 2018.
0: But they were, but then they were actually, uh, put forward and implemented now.
1: Yeah. Right. Okay.
0: So, so So one
1: could draw a correlation.
0: One might be able to draw (laughs) a a, a connection there. Now, now, um, you You have experience as uh, you have experience covering uh grassroots movements um, that were propagated and spread through social media as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about that
1: yeah definitely So while I was an undergraduate student, I had really the opportunity of a lifetime to go abroad to go to Tunisia a year after the arab Spring hmm. and so I produced a segment that was about the usage of social media and how things like Facebook and Twitter helped with organizing those mass demonstrations that we saw, and just quite frankly, communicating and getting the message out there because this state controlled the narrative that um, they were seeing on TV there.
0: And do you was there this sort of crackdown on the internet by the states, um, the states in question?
1: I don't think to this level. I spoke to um, one individual who he became known as Mr. Anonymous of Tunisia. Mm -hmm. But um, he was actually, he was taken in and he was handcuffed and he was questioned because he would write blogs and he would help organize these demonstrations. Um, But it wasn't as widespread, I don't think, as we're seeing in India.
0: Not as sophisticated in terms of uh, uh, like forcing... um, Forcing these platforms, like at that level of regulation, it was like tracking right. down an individual and scaring them or punishing them.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They didn't have the means to take down the content at that point. They didn't have the rules or the regulations. I don't think at that point to take it down.
0: So, do you think that, uh, just based on kind of your your experience and and what you've what you've read, um, do you think that a crackdown on the level of what we're seeing right now in India would have uh, significantly impeded those, those protests at the time.
1: Oh, absolutely. It would definitely would have hindered the Arab Spring, like 100%, especially what was going on in Tunisia. Um, But you have to remember they're trying to do very different things.
0: Okay. That's true.
1: Yeah. I mean, in Tunisia, they were trying to topple the Ben Ali regime. This is a very different thing, um, you know, from the farmers' protests, but there are similarities.
0: There's similarities in terms of a massive democratic movement that's, you know, uh, opposed to the, or a massive grassroots movement that's opposed to a fairly authoritarian uh, state leader, even if he mm-hmm. hasn't been enshrined in uh, <laughs> like the same kind of the same way that uh, a Hosni Mubarak may have been or uh mm-hmm. right. So... Um, we as far as i understand this pegasus story is not um isolated like there are other stories that are coming out now about similar schemes um across the world is that right and and, mm-hmm. and what yeah. uh, what what have you seen there and maybe can you draw any sort of parallels or um um or contrasts with what's going on with pegasus
1: You know, I've I've been more focused on what's going on in India um, because I don't, I think that it's sometimes when these things happen, a lot of the reporting that I've seen in particular for India has been about journalists in India um, who work at mainstream or not mainstream, who work at larger publications. So I was able for this recent article, I was able to interview the editor of a small newspaper based in Ludhiana. And
0: tell us about that. Yeah.
1: yeah, so he is um, one of the only, I think, journalists of the 40 um, in India who work at a small publication. The publication is called the Rosanna Perdar. And um, the editor there, it's based in Ludhiana And the editor there found out about a month ago that his phone was infected with the spyware um, Pegasus. Mm. He was actually, he was approached by someone from The Wire. I see. And, and they asked if they can look at his phone and mm-hmm. of course they took hours and hours and they they looked at it and they found uh the software they checked for the spyware and they found it there
0: and um i mean w- w- what kind of a publication um is is theirs uh like what does yeah. it cover and um does it have a maybe an ideological um lens to it
1: sure so it is a punjabi um Newspaper. It's written in Punjabi, and in my conversations with him, and looking through the content, you know, it is, it is focused on Sikh philosophies. It is a bunthick sort of newspaper, mm-hmm. and he said that um, he believes that he was probably targeted because they are very outspoken mm-hmm. about actions taken by RSS,
0: the right-wing uh, kind of militant arm of the BJP. Exactly, uh, and. And so um, clearly, again, six are, I think it seems like we were talking about before, are a part of a broad swath of, uh, of communities in India who are being targeted here uh, for, being, for, for dissident uh, opinions.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for being outspoken and critical of the government
0: we don't want to take away focus from, from this story, but the reason I'm interested in, in kind of uh, talking about potential parallels is because uh, I think that, you know, oftentimes as six, we can feel like we're on our own in terms of the issues we're dealing with, but it sounds like not only across India, India, but even across the world, there's dissident voices being directly surveilled by some, some party, we're not exactly sure who.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not only that, it's not only um, journalists, but I mean, if, if you want to draw parallels across the world, I mean, in France, the French uh, president, Emmanuel Macron, um, just reading some of the latest headlines, like he, he changed his phone number because um, I believe that his was found to be infected with Pegasus too. So this is, it's not oh, wow. only journalists, um, these are government officials as well. And even in India, I know that Rahul Gandhi's phone was found to have been um, infected with uh, Pegasus as well. This is scary for democracy. I mean, of the course. world's largest democracy and members of the opposing party, their phones have been infected by the spyware. So yep. the implications that that has is huge, whether yep. you know canvassing voters don't just vote at the ballot like there's a whole process that happens and you know if you have access to your competitor's game plan for this yeah. the upcoming election season that that's nerve-wracking i think for democracy
0: right so so journalists are not the only ones being targeted here we're having heads of state uh heads of major parties being targeted obviously the story is developing still i mean we're Mm -hmm. in the very early stages of information about this but um yeah i mean and you've you've uh you've made it clear like the very concerning implications that this has um do you you know kind of where do you do you have any sense of where this is going or do you have any Kind of trails that you're now following uh, to continue uncovering um, information about this, and, and what can you tell us about that?
1: I think what's really alarming, also about this thing with Pegasus, is yeah. that you know it, it's very easy. And Apar, actually from Internet Freedom Foundation, Apar Gupta, brought this point up to me, and it, it kind of caused me to think a little bit deeper. If people start mimicking this software, Mm. Pegasus is meant to be used you know just against criminal and terrorists, and they vet governments before they're able to use this software but if everyday people like you and me are able to understand how this software is developed and how it's placed in people's phones, mm. everyday people like you and me could be surveilled and not have any idea like you don't need high grade software like Pegasus. I just worry that people will figure out how to create this software and that's going to have some pretty frightening implications for the future.
0: Well, uh, unfortunately I think we may have to leave it at that. Um, but I do hope that we, as you know, as this story develops, you'll check back in with us and you will, I'm sure you'll continue writing about it. Um, and i just want to thank you for for sharing this important story and joining us today on the podcast
1: thank you thanks so much for having me. it was fun talking
0: all, right. all the best thank you all so much for joining us again uh, on the boz podcast uh, remember we are here every other tuesday talking to boz journalists and contributors about the subjects that they cover, trying to get a little bit deeper and more conversational about the things that they're following. And uh, make sure you like and subscribe on every platform you can. Leave comments uh, and reviews uh, on all of our platforms because it helps uh, us know what you think about the show. Uh, And it also helps us uh, get seen by Uh, other potential viewers uh, or listeners so uh, we really appreciate that support Um, the support for the show has already grown significantly since we started uh, just a couple episodes ago so we're really thankful that y'all are listening and like uh, like I said please do let us know what you think and um, leave those comments and reviews and we will see you next to next Tuesday all right bye-bye